0: Well, let's uh, let's pray together as we open up God's word this morning. Father, we're so thankful to be in your presence as a as a family, as a community that is desperately in need of you, and God. As we were just singing, you are our vision. You have guided our hearts. You've given us uh, the blueprint, the outline, the understanding, the depths of your love and your grace and your mercy through your word. And so we tie into that right now, God, we lean fully into that and we ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, that you would enlighten us, enlighten our hearts to have a better understanding of the call, God, the call in our lives to be disciples, to follow you, to serve you, to suffer when it's the right time, But most of all, God, to be obedient and to glorify you as our Savior. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Well, we're uh, continuing in our uh, series on the book of Acts. We are the second part of chapter 5. We'll be covering verses 12 through 42 today. Uh, last week, JP talked about what wasn't an easy sermon to preach, but did a wonderful job about Ananias and Sapphira and how God chose to take their lives. Because of their disobedience, of their their willingness not to surrender all. And that we heard the truth that that we are not our own. That when we believe and that God has captured our heart, that we are God's. That we are solely God's and God's alone. And that He cares so muchly for us that He would do something like that in Acts 5. Where He would create this tension of the severity of being called a Christian. And when you're called a Christian, then, then it's not this, he tells us in Revelation, it's not this lukewarm Christianity. He says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. But it's this, this uh, full-blown, I surrender all, I am broken, and I need you, Jesus, type of surrender. That doesn't mean that we're sinless. That doesn't mean that we're perfect. That means that we're leaning on one and desiring to honor and glorify one that is perfect in the name of Jesus. And so we see this transition after this happens in the temple to where in verse 12, uh, it jumps right into where it's talking about the apostles are continuing to do signs and wonders. And they're doing them among the people by the hands of the apostles. So we're in Acts chapter 5. I'll start in chapter uh, in verse 12. And it says, how many signs and wonders, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's Portico. Solomon's Portico it would be a central location uh, in or around the temple where people would go to, and knowing that they could go and, be, and get service there. So the apostles are actually showing up at Solomon's Portico on a consistent basis, making themselves available to the community. They're there to serve the community. And as we see, it says that, that signs and wonders were going on during this time. And so the community would go and be with the apostles and the apostles would be stationary. They'd stand firm. They were available. And so we see immediately that the the apostles are serving this community through this way. And so coming off the heels of Ananias and Sapphira and their death, and the apostles are serving the community and they're available and signs and wonders are happening. In verse 13, we see a response to that. It says, none of the rest dared join them. So you have to ask the question, who is the rest? Who's not joining them? Well, as we see that there are a lot of people that were, that were uh, the, the apostles and the believers were selling their, their goods and their land and, and giving to the poor. There were a lot of people that were following and being around the outskirts of the Christians, and they were consuming. They were there to see what they could get from these Jesus followers. And so when... They see the Ananias and Sapphira drop in the temple and they see the apostles and the power of the Holy Spirit as their signs and wonderings happening. There's an immediate sobering reality that this thing of calling yourself a Christian has great expectations and severity. It's an, it's an honor to be called a Christian, but at the same time, there's not this halfway, half in, half out thing. This is a, a moment of full surrender to Jesus And so those that were kind of on the outskirts or were there to consume, it sobered them. So, whoa, well, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. I'm not sure if I'm ready to jump in full, uh, fully with these apostles. But then it says, but those people held the apostles in high esteem. So it's almost one of those realities of I appreciate what they're doing, but I'm not ready for that. I appreciate their, their 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 obedience to God, but I don't know if I'm ready to, to jump fully into that. But then it goes on in verse 14, and it says, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of the men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets. And so see, we see that there is one level, you see a divided crowd that says, I'm not ready to jump in and give myself fully over to God. I just... I don't feel worthy to do that. That's it's kind of scary to me. But then you see, more than ever, we already have this growing population of people surrendering their life. And they see the severity. They see the expectation. They see the beauty of being a follower of Jesus. And they say, yes, I want to be a part of that. I want to surrender all to a glorious and authoritative and loving and grace-giving and merciful God. That he would even show us and expose our own wickedness in our hearts through the death of Ananias and Sapphira. To know that, that we can't be our own, but we have to be fully his and his alone. I want to be a part of that. And more than ever, it says, that believers were added to the numbers. And, so, and then we see another response that happens to those that are, that are believing. It says that they take the men and the women that are sick and they go out to the streets and they lay them on cots and mats. So that as Peter came by, that at least his shadow might fall on some of them. We'll see uh, this reference to an object being something that offers healing uh, several times throughout the New Testament. We see Jesus' garment, right? The lady that has the, the issue with the bleeding. She desires just to reach out and touch his garment, that she might be healed. We see in Acts 19 that Paul's handkerchief... Becomes a, a, an object that would offer healing. We see here that it's just the it's just shadow would pass over me that I could be healed. Well, there's no power in the garment that Jesus wore, nor the shadow that passes over, nor the, the cloth of the handkerchief that Paul sneezed into. The power is in the Holy Spirit. That He's such a gracious and loving and glorious God that He would offer that kind of generosity to heal those that He chooses to. To heal. That, he wouldn't, that we as people wouldn't get stuck on these mystic things. That this is what brings me healing. But we would have faith that if only I could touch the garment. Or if only I could touch the handkerchief or only the shadow. That I believe that Christ, if He chose to heal me, He would heal me. Now let me, hear, let me say this. Our faith does not determine God's choosing to heal. That is on Christ and Christ alone. That he would choose to heal us. But he does want our faith to swell up. And even to do this, to believe that if we just lay them in the streets and the shadow would pass over them, that a healing would occur if God chose to do such a wonderful thing. And so we're immediately uh, in the the place where we see this, this understanding that Jesus will choose, God will choose to heal immediately or... He'll choose to heal later in eternity. But those that have that faith and are believers, then that healing is going to come. Whether it's a choosing to heal right now at the snap of a finger. Or if it's choosing that He would heal us when we're in eternity to worship and praise Him. But what we see in this section in verse 16 says, "All, All the people gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. They were all healed. God chose to grow his church and to show his authority through the power of the Holy Spirit. But everyone that had that faith that they would be healed. And more and more people were coming to the numbers and added to the numbers of believers every day. Now, if you're looking at the characters in the story, you have the people being healed. You have the people that are are opposing the apostles. and You have the apostles. Now, for most of us, we wrestle with pride. We would wrestle with a moment like this. We're like, hey, I just did that. The apostles could have taken a step back and been like, oh, let's count the heads of all the people that are now believers. Or let's count the heads of all the people that have been healed. But we don't see that. We still see them pressing on, showing up in Solomon's portico day after day to continue to serve and continue to make themselves available and continue to preach Jesus over and over again. What's going to happen is that everybody that's surrounding them, all the Jewish people and all the Romans and all the people that are that are a part of experiencing and seeing and operating inside this, and then also the Jewish leaders, they're going to have to consider a response. And so the Jewish leaders is what we're going to see next in verses 17 through 42, is that the Jewish leaders are, are forced to respond to the apostles and what they're doing here. They're also forced to look back at what had, what had happened. That killing Jesus did not put an end to the message going forward. That killing Jesus only ignited the movement. And so those that made that decision, and as Peter preaches so many times, that it's the blood on the hands of of us, but also those Jewish leaders, they have to scratch their head and say, "What do we do now? Murdering this this the Savior didn't work. What do we do now?" And so we're going to see how they respond in verse seventeen. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. Let's just pause there. All right, so the Sadducees were uh, a group of religious men that in that time they were opposing divine authority. They were opposing that the oral law would move on and they would only hold to the written law. But at the same time, they were the liberals of the bunch. They would make things and adjust things for their ability or for whatever they wanted to uh, happen for, for, for their agenda. Their doctrine, main three doctrine statements that they opposed was the resurrection of the dead, eternal life being an option, and that they didn't believe in angels or spirits. So we see God use the apostles to preach the resurrected Jesus Christ. That through belief and faith in him, you would have eternal life. Uses the apostles to heal and to cast out spirits and demons. And later on, we see that God sends an angel to rescue the apostles from prison. And so we see that God is doing something directly to what they're opposing in their doctrine as Christians. That we do believe in the resurrected Christ. And we do believe that he offers eternal life where we can be in a state of complete and utter worship with him. That there are, this is a battle against, not a battle against flesh and blood, but a battle against the darkness. That there are angels and spirits. And so God is exposing all this in their, inside their doc, doctrine. And so this high priest, filled with jealousy, raises up and says, in verse 18, they should be arrested. So they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So we see that the angel shows up after they've been arrested in a public prison with other prisoners. They're probably all confined into one room. An angel shows up, unlocks their door, brings them out and gives them direction and says, I want you to go and stand. What does it mean to stand? It means you make a declaration. You're not walking around. You're not hiding in and out of the the alleyways or the shadows. You're standing in a public place, making a public proclamation of who Jesus Christ is. They were just arrested and the angel said, go and stand there and do that again. Well, if I'm the apostle, right? As sinner as as sinful as I am, I'm going, "Hey, we got a chance to get out of here, guys. Like we just got rescued by an angel, we could we could take off. We don't have to stick around for this kind of suffering anymore. We can go and be fishermen again. We we see the writing on the wall. This is what's going to happen for us. But instead, we see a different Peter, don't we? We've seen the Peter through uh, the gospels, the one that kind of cowards back, the one that in fear chops off a soldier's ear, the one that when asked, do you know this Jesus, cowards back and three times denies that he knows Jesus. And here we see him stand boldly and say, guys, let's go. We've got to go stand in the temple. We're going to continue to preach Jesus. And whatever, whatever happens, we're going to rejoice in this. And so we see a new radical Peter because the power of the Holy Spirit has been poured out into him and it changes people. The Holy Spirit changes us. And so Peter is no longer this coward, but now he's this bold man standing there proclaiming Jesus. And so next thing that happens, and I'm kind of going to storytell this part instead of reading it verse by verse. But you can follow around starting in Verse 21. That the religious people then gathered. A group called the Sanhedrin. Sadducees and Pharisees, they come together. They're powerful people. the religious people. They don't always agree on everything, but they agree on one thing right now, and that they're furious. They're furious about these apostles continuing to preach about Jesus. And they say, hey, to the officer, go grab the 12 apostles, bring them back over here. We want to see them. So an officer takes off goes to the prison where the prison guard is standing in front of the locked gate. And says, open the gate. Let's go get the apostles. They go into the, the locked prison and they see all the other prisoners and they go to the prison cell where the apostles are going to go. The prison door is locked, but no apostles. So the officer looks at the guard, looks at the other prisoners, says, all right, got to go tell these guys what's going on. So they go back. He goes in front of the Senate and says... I went to the prison, the prison gate was locked, the prison guards were there. We went into the prison, the prison cell was locked, the prison cell was empty. And it says that, this, the, that the Senate, the Sadducees and the Pharisees looked at one another, asked us all those same questions, and they said that they were greatly perplexed about the, and, and then wondering what this would come to. Moments later, another person comes in that knows that the apostles were just arrested and says to the Senate, Hey, those guys you arrested yesterday, guess where they are? They're back in the temple. They're standing in the middle of the temple and they're preaching about Jesus again. So this time the Senate says, well, let's go take them. But this time don't take them with force because we don't want an uprising. We don't want to get stoned. So as Paul's there, Why? Why would they be afraid of being stoned in that moment? Well, we just talked about that the apostles have made themselves available in the portico. They've been serving. They've been caring for people. They've been healing people. They've been casting out demons. They've been proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And for a group of people to be like, we don't want you to be healed. We don't want demons to be cast out. We don't want you to know the good news. It might get a couple of people upset. And so they go with this passive route, and they grab the apostles without harm, and they bring them back in front of the Senate. What we're seeing here is that there's a trial going on. There's two camps. You have this camp of the apostles, the believers, and you have the, the Senate, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they're building a case against one another. The Sanhedrin's doing it on purpose. Alright, you preach the gospel. I'm going to arrest you. This time, um, the first time Peter and John were arrested is just a light smack on the hand. Don't do that anymore. They go out. They preach the gospel again. Now they send people out and they arrest them. They put them in jail. They give them a stern warning. Do not do this again. An angel comes and saves, takes, rescues them from prison. They go back to the temple and they stand. And they continue to preach Jesus. And so they get arrested again. This time without... Violence, they're brought back in front of them. And now we're going to see how they're going to respond. But they're building the case. The Sanhedrin is building the case against the apostles. And every time, every time the Sanhedrin arrests the apostles, the apostles go out and preach Jesus, and more and more people come to believe in Jesus. And more, and the swell of Christianity begins to grow, and the church begins to grow. Cause and effect. They arrest, Jesus is glorified. They arrest and they're suffering for something. The name of Christ is being proclaimed and more and more people are coming to know who he is. And so we see we, we've, we have the, the apostles in front of the high priest. And the high priest asked the question in verse 28 saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. The high priest wanting to say the name of Jesus. He says, we we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. I think that the, the high priest knows that there's authority that comes with the name of Jesus. Now, he doesn't respect it, but he knows that there's authority. There's a response, and he's driven by great jealousy, is what we see. is That jealousy is motivating the Sanhedrin, the high priest, all of their hearts. Because they if people are going to be healed, and demons cast out, and good news is going to be proclaimed... That it's going to be for their reputation to grow, not for these men that are disciples of Jesus. And so they're jealous for the authority, for the attention, for the power that's being extended to the apostles. And it says, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Again, he will to say the name of Jesus, but they know what he's talking about because he's heard Peter's. Or he's heard about Peter's first two sermons that say, hey, and the blood of Jesus is on your hands. And so they're sitting there in front of the the high priest, big hat, telling them all these things about, about what they've done wrong and said, you're not supposed to do this. And even the high priest says, and I know that you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. People are listening. There's a wildfire. It's been filled. People are talking. The buzz is about Jesus and what he offers And we have to put this to a stop. And so the man that has arrested Peter three times, Peter's standing in front of him. The one that's arrested Jesus for proclaiming, I mean, arrested Peter for proclaiming Jesus. He's standing in front of them. And so what does Peter do? He begins to preach the gospel. And so Peter said to the apostle, answered, we must obey God rather than men. He begins to preach and he's saying, I got to I have to I have to respond, I have to obey God, not you, sir. My call is for God to be honored and glorified and his name to be lifted up, not yours, sir. And he goes on to preach and we see Peter's third sermon, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. He, quote, he quotes Deuteronomy 21 back to the high priest that would know that verse by heart. The verse that says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. In verse 31 of Acts 5, it says, But God exalted him at his right hand. He was innocent. God exalted him at his right hand, and he re- rose, rose him from the dead as Leader and Savior. And get this. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. He's telling the high priest that this thing that I'm here teaching you about and telling you about this gospel of Jesus, is for you as well. It's for you to know. It's for you. This is an opportunity for you, sir. To hear the good news of Jesus and what he has done for you. And that you might repent and follow Jesus. Even right now, in the midst of your jealousy and your anger, that this message is for you, high priest. The man that thinks that he needs to hear it the least is the one that needs it the most. And even here this morning, us, those that think we need to hear it the least, That forgiveness is offered through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're the ones that need to hear it the most. Because God has exalted him as leader and as Savior. He wants you to know that He's your leader and and He's your Savior. And repentance is for all of Israel, for all those who would believe. Peter knows that, that people follow leaders. He knows that this man sitting here as judge is a leader. He knows that if you want to follow Jesus, then more people will follow you. Peter is not cowarding back or shying back. He's continued to preach the good news of Jesus. As we're going to see later, that is for us. That is for us as well. And he goes on to say, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. Whom God has given to those who obey, obey Him. You hear the question there. Will you? Will you obey? Will you obey God? Will you obey the Scriptures that you know so well that all point to Jesus, High Priest? Will you obey Him? Because only through the Holy Spirit, only through the power of the Holy Spirit, that is a witness that you would and that others would come to know who Jesus is as well. These signs and miracles and casting out demons and new believers coming to be followers of Jesus, all that's because of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter preaches that. And that message has filled Jerusalem. And the message is for us this morning. That we would respond to that call, to that message as a church coda. That we would be people that proclaim Jesus wherever we go, and we see that there's already suffering. We're going to see that there's more suffering that's going to happen, and in the face of suffering, that we continue to stand firm and proclaim Jesus to offer freedom for those that think that they don't need to be forgiven. That's exactly what we see Jesus. I mean, Peter doing here with the high priest, and then we see in verse 33 when they heard this. They were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a while. To the Senate, Pharisees, Sadducees, Gamaliel is is a Pharisee, he's a leader. And we get to see him give a speech to to the the Sanhedrin. Gamaliel is a powerful man. In a lot of the antiquities, we see that he's called Rabban, which means our teacher. Greater than Rabbi, which would be my teacher or the teacher. But Rabban is, is our teacher. It's a community. People are following and listening to this man. And so he stands up. And he begins to to talk to them. And he speaks with with great purity and and clarity. And he says to them, Men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. He warns them. He says, be careful, guys. And he goes on and he gives two examples of two other men that had this, this, this following. And hundreds of men would follow him, but these men would die. And so the movement would die with those men. He gives two examples of that. And then he says, look, we've seen that where men have tried to do these things, they failed. But if it's of God, if it's of God, verse 39, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So he took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and, let, and then they let them go. That story is the same story as that things of this world, things of, that are created by men, they are surely going to die. But if God is doing something, if the Holy Spirit is moving through a, His church, then surely it will only find great victory and success. And the name of Jesus will continue to be proclaimed. And so they call them back in and they let them go after beating them. In this time, a beating would probably have been, we don't know exactly, but it probably would have been a lashing of 39 lashes with with several different types of whips with something on the end of these whips. The word beaten here is to be skinned, which means that these men, the 12 apostles, when they left, that their flesh was hanging from their back. And in verse 41, we see, and then they left the presence of the council, beaten, yet rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, y'all, every day after that day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So they were beaten and joy filled their hearts. Only the Holy Spirit could do something like that and they go back and they continue to preach Jesus and then they start missional community groups in Jerusalem and they go house to house and they pray for people in the house and they share the good news of Jesus with those in their neighborhoods they offer the words of life which is only Jesus That's the only thing that we can rely on. There's nothing greater. We can't pull together our own abilities and characters and ideas to know how to walk through suffering, to walk through pain in suffering, that we would honor and worship and rejoice in Christ. And they preach in the temple every day. And the rest of the story, the narrative that that continues for the next 2,000 years looks just like this. For the next 300 years, we'll see great persecution over the Christian movement. We'll see a, a regime that will raise up. And as Christians are captured, then they're hung on stakes and they line the roads. Waiting for people to pass by, hanging there waiting to suffer, to, to, to suffocate and die. And as they hang there, they sing songs of praise as people pass by. In the next 300 years, we'll see that 100 of those years, that Christianity is completely illegal. We see that God is using the gospel and using Jesus and using His disciples to grow the church. A man named Tertullian would pin these words in Latin later. The blood of Christ is seed. That would evolve into a more common phrase that we read in the book of martyrs today the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church what we'll learn as history goes on is that persecution yes sometimes that means growth to the church we see it in china we've seen it in russia we've seen it in egypt we've seen it in india where persecution has grown the church but it's not always the case there's been times where persecution has completely demolished the church. And we expect immediate uh, growth. Well, that's our timing. God's timing is that maybe he'll take 100 years before he goes back into Russia and explodes the church. It's all about the Holy Spirit doing what the Holy Spirit will do to, to expand the name of Jesus Christ. He may choose to use us. As Christians, as followers, he may choose to use our lives and he may choose for the gospel to be proclaimed and continue on through our deaths. But our call is to be obedient. God told an angel, men, go back into the temple and stand and continue to preach Jesus Christ. All that meant for the apostles is that we're going to continue to preach Jesus knowing that we're going to get arrested again knowing that our lives might be at stake, knowing that it's only going to get greater, the persecution, the, the punishment is only going to get greater. And they stood in the face of that and they said, Jesus is king over and over again. And as they were persecuted and they were beaten, they rejoiced. And so as Dennis read in First Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. And so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This is about Jesus and God's glory, not about us. And that we would be people that would stand on those words and that truth for God to be honored. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that you would even consider us. Through the blood of your Son, Jesus, that suffered the greatest death and now is resurrected and sits at the right hand, at your right hand, and has sent the Holy Spirit to empower and to embolden us to proclaim to Jesus. God, we are humbled that you would even choose us to be heralds of the gospel, that the, that the words of Jesus, the high priest wouldn't say it. That we would say it. That the name of Jesus is the King of Kings and He is our Savior and He is the only way. And we can't do that without you. And for those that are in here this morning, Lord, and they we feel like we don't need or we don't deserve or we're the, the rest of, That we're not ready to to surrender all. God, that you would continue to marinate and prick their hearts and soften their hearts and draw them in. And that invitation is for them. The invitation is for them to, to receive that forgiveness of sins. Because you offered it through the blood of your son, Jesus. And that's good news. And that the rest of us, God, would go into our neighborhoods and proclaim that truth. No matter the face of suffering or dishonor, that you would get honor. And we would receive joy. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.